I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another mini episode of the London Lyceum. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your other host, Brandon Askew. And this is our monthly reviews and resources uh, podcast. So we're trying to do this in 15 minutes or less. So far, we've been quite successful. So I'm pleased uh, with the results so far. And we got quite a few comments uh, last time that were positive, that liked this little mini episode and found it helpful. So that made me think that we'll definitely keep doing it. So that said, um, let's go ahead and get into the meat uh, of the episode. Um, A couple books I might recommend or just simply comment on as reviewing purposes. And I know I've mentioned this one multiple times already, but I finished it, so I thought I'd talk about it. Uh, If you get annoyed and say, stop sharing the same book multiple times, that's fine, tell me. Um, (laughs) If it becomes, you know, it was cool, I want to get it, uh, then I get it and I tell you that I'm reading it and now I'm telling you I finished it and what I think. Or if you like the fact that I'm reviewing it a little bit more, uh, you can let us know that too. So Jonathan Lehman's One Assembly uh, book, three chapters, Um, he kind of, he really doesn't do much new stuff. I was kind of expecting a little bit more new. Um, what is, I think the most helpful part of the book is chapters two and three. Uh, the second chapter, he makes his entire argument for why multi-sites and multi-services can't exist. And that's because the word for church just means an actual assembly of people. And if you don't have that, then you don't have a church. I think it's a good argument. I don't think it's a knockdown argument. Um, and I guess I'll, you know, I'll toot my own horn and say, I've got an article coming out that I think <laughs> is stronger, uh, in a journal coming out soon. That should be out in a month or so, maybe a little bit longer. I don't know. And then his other chapter, the church should be Catholic. I thought that was a really good chapter. That was the best chapter in my opinion of the book. Uh, first chapter didn't love second chapter was pretty good for the most part. I thought it was weak in some areas, but third chapter was really good. So good on that one. Brandon, do you have one you want to recommend? Um, I don't have any books. I do, I do want to revisit one book that I've already, um, that I mentioned last time. So I guess we're going to do the repeating thing again. But <clears throat> last time we did this, you know, I was talking about how uh, I had ordered the Canon Covenant Christology book by Matthew Barrett and I had, you know, high expectations for it. Uh, but I've, so I've since finished it since we released that last one. And it, for me, lived up to the hype. Um, I don't want to give a lot of it away. I mean, I think a lot of people have probably seen, I, I definitely tweeted a, a lot of stuff out of it. It was just so many, so many nuggets that I pulled from it, but, uh, it kind of got, um, I got bogged down a little bit, like in the middle of it. And then the last couple chapters, it like picked back up again and it was just really, really good. So I definitely recommend grabbing that for sure. Yep. Cool. Uh, another one that I wanted to recommend, this is a little bit older, um, but I pulled it off the shelf cause I was re- using it as a resource recently. And it just reminded me of how thick and, and difficult at times of a read it is, but also how really helpful and thought provoking he is, uh, Brian left God and necessity. It's, I mean, it's kind of a beast. Let's see here. It's 550 pages, but it's, and it's, I mean, it's rigorous, difficult reading. So if, if you're not well-versed in philosophy or philosophy of religion or those types of things, this is a challenging read, but I think it is worth the payoff. I mean, the payoff is worth it. So I do recommend it. I do think it's a very useful resource and you would find it. I mean, useful. I am using that word multiple times, but it, it is, it is useful. So I recommend it. Um, there's that. Brandon, do you have another book or do you want me to keep going? Nope, no more books for me. Okay. 
One other book that I want to mention is Peter Adamson's uh, A History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps. It's four volumes, uh, and it's actually really, really easy to read. I think he's got a podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but I plan to. And basically, it turned into four volumes on the history of philosophy. So you got like medieval philosophy, Islamic philosophy, Hellenistic and Roman world philosophy. Um, so, and it's really, I mean, they're short chapters. They're like six or seven pages per chapter uh, going through the different um, figures and periods. And he writes in a really accessible way. So if you're interested in learning more just about, I guess, the process of ideas throughout history, I think this is a really useful resource. It's fairly inexpensive. It is with Oxford University Press and it's in paperback. So it's like 20 bucks a, a volume. So it's not bad, but I think it's really helpful if this is something you want to grow in. So why don't we move on to journal articles that might be of use? Um, one that I, one I want to mention is an entire journal. Phil Christie uh, just came out with their, uh, I guess, 2019, the end of 2019. It's, it's in April, but I just got it. Volume 21 too. It's got some really interesting, useful articles in here. So it's got a symposium from, I think it was the Eastern uh, APA conference with Greg Welty, William Lane Craig, and Peter Vandenwagen talking about um, divine conceptualism and divine acidity and William Lane Craig's book, God Over All. So I think it's really interesting. I, I think it's, I haven't read well, Greg Welty's response yet, but I think it's the same notes that he gave me. So I think it's just verbatim what the, the notes that went back and forth there. But that's a really interesting topic if you're interested in abstract objects and how that relates to God. Um, if God is a say over uh, them or how that works out, I think it's a really interesting debate. There's some other interesting articles in here. Uh, C. Stephen Evans has been doing a lot of work on accountability as a virtue. So he's got an article on that. Um, there's someone else in here who has an article, Can a Male Savior Save Women? So interacting with philosophy of gender, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a really fascinating and fertile topic area. So really, I read the first couple of pages of that, and it was really stimulating and really good. And there's a couple other things in there, but I think those are the main ones that at least I have interested in. Uh, interest in. Brandon, did you have any? Yeah, I got a couple. So I, last week I was... Uh, just like looking around online to see if I could find any, you know, open access theology journals. And I stumbled on RTS's journal. It's called uh, Reform Faith and Practice. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not. But it looks like they uh, they released three a year. And um, so I do have two, two articles that I read that I thought were really good that I wanted to uh, direct you to. So one of them is this one's in volume four, issue one. So that would have come out May of 2019. And the title of the article is the laws of nature and of nature's God, the theological foundations of modern science. And this is by James N. Anderson. So he's at RTS Charlotte. The title pretty much uh, gives it away. Um, it's pretty straightforward. So he goes through like, what is the popular story of, you know, science and, um, you know, our science and religion at odds. <clears throat> and then basically he gives three arguments for why you need a theological foundation to do science. Uh, one of those is an argument from, uh, uniformity of nature, argument from cognitive reliability, and, and an argument from mathematics. It's a pretty short article, so it won't take you long to read. Um, and it's not, you know, anything that's too difficult to understand. So I think that would be uh, a really good read for somebody that's interested in, you know, things uh, 
you know, debates between um, science and its compatibility with theology and things like that. And I have one more, but you want me to wait on that one or go ahead? Uh, you, you go with that one. And then the other one, uh, same journal, Reform, Faith, and Practice, and that's in, uh, let's see, that would have been Volume 4, Issue 2, so September of 2019, this one came out, and this is by Carl Truman, um, and the title of it is Reforming God with a Question Mark. So basically, he's questioning this idea of whether uh, Reformed theologians have or should reform the doctrine of God. So a lot of this is um, history, but it's Again, just like the Anderson article, it's really easy to read. Um, he does a lot on uh, Martin Luther in this article, specifically as relates to impassibility and how to understand what Luther's actually saying, what he's not saying. And then there's, you know, that's a more specific level uh, of, of what he's talking about. But also, just from a broader uh, scope, he just, you know, how should we as Protestants think through church history and, you know, the early church creeds and things like that? So, again, just like uh, the other one not a long read and it's uh, pretty easy, but I do definitely recommend it. Yeah. That Truman one, you, you turned me on to that one. And of course he writes in a very uh, agreeable style. So I think, I think it's a pretty easy read for most people. And really he's one of those guys who is sounding the alarm bells of uh, Trinitarian unorthodoxy among e- evangelicalism, which I don't know how much that's actually changed. Uh, I think the same people still have the same views, but I do think uh, the broader evangelical community, at least on, online and other places, are more aware and informed on on the topic now. Yeah. So those who may have not had an opinion now have a strong opinion. So I, th- but I don't think the main problem people have changed in their views. No, I don't significantly think so. in any way. Yeah. But I guess it is what it is. That's that's not what we're here to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> so, an article I stumbled upon recently because. Impassibility. We've been talking about that a lot. Um, with I know RT Mullins had two episodes on it on his podcast. We had an episode with Sam Renahan talking about it. So there's been more conversation about it. And I stumbled upon this article by Kevin Van Hooser in the International Journal of Systematic Theology. It's from October of 2017. It's called Love Without Measure. And a bunch of other words. Brandon made a joke that it was a Puritan title. It basically is. I found it really really interesting article uh, going through what does it mean that God is love? Um, what does that actually look like? Because uh, I think that has a lot to do with if God is impassable or not, because a lot of people who want to deny impassibility want to say, well, he can't really have love if he's impassable uh, and so on. One of the things I really loved about this is he opens up in the second paragraph saying, Christian theology is the one faith seeking understanding of the one God and all things in relation to him who is over all and through all and in all. And I, I love that way he said that. Cause I was like, man, that sounds like my podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Good, good article. I think you should check it out. If that's something you're interested in another article, it's not an article. It's a book chapter. Uh, it's by Ross Inman. Who's here in, in Wake Forest with us at Southeastern. I mean, I'm not at Southeastern, but you know, I live 15 minutes from it and really helpful article. It's a shame that I haven't read it until now. It's from 2017. And I want to have him on the podcast to talk about this topic because I think he handles it masterfully and really offers a view of omnipresence that I don't think people have really used or encountered or thought of. Uh, So he basically says, most people, I guess nowadays when they think of omnipresence, they say, well, God's not literally everywhere. He's, he's 
he's everywhere by virtue of his power and his knowledge. But then he kind of breaks down what does it mean to actually be present and to be somewhere. And, and he's like, that doesn't really, I guess, fulfill our typical notions of presence. And then he looks at people like Anselm, uh, Augustine, and others and says, their model of omnipresence is not that. That is Thomas Aquinas's model of om- omnipresence, but it's not um, other major figures in, in classical theism and, and historical Christian theism. So he offers some alternative takes on that. I'm not going to spoil the whole article because I want you to go read it. It's long. It's 41 pages, but it's really, really good stuff. So hopefully we'll have him on to talk about this particular thing because I don't know of anyone else really talking about this particular issue. Yeah, I need to so, I need to check that out. I, I it's saved on my desktop. You you know you sent it to me, and then I read the abstract, and then was going to start the article the next day, and then that's when I got sick with the flu, and I never got <laughs> never got back to it. So, but I do need yeah, to read so, that. So I, I definitely commend that to you. It's even handed. It's interesting, and and it's really something I, I had no idea other people were thinking and talking this way, and it makes a ton of sense to me. So I'd kind of gone power knowledge way. Um, but now I'm like, all right, no, I think Inman's way is, is more consistent and better and more consistent with the Christian tradition as well. Um, so really, really, really good article. I'd, I'd say if you pick one of the articles that I mentioned, that's the one you want to go after and get, get your hands on and read. Uh, do you have any other thing you want nope. to recommend? So I want to mention another book that I've gotten that I haven't read. I don't know when I'll get to it, but I think it's some of our listeners will be interested in it. So it's from Ian Birch and it's called titled to follow the lamb wheresoever he goeth the ecclesial polity of the English Calvinistic Baptists from 1640 to 1660. I'm really interested in this book. I've had it in my Amazon cart forever. And then my birthday came and I got some extra, <laughs> extra cash. So I went ahead and got it and I'm really interested in reading and learning about it because I think there's a little bit more flexibility in Ecclesia and Baptist polity uh, then than there is now. Uh, so I think there's personally, there's really narrow views of, of polity. And back then in English Calvinistic Baptist understanding of polity was a little more flexible and varied. So I'm really interested to learn myself and uh, hopefully plan to write in an article somewhere along that topic, somewhere over the summer or late fall. Um, but that said, I, that's all I've got. And we thanks, thank, thank you guys again for tuning in and listening to this mini episode. Hopefully this is helpful. Um, and we're going to keep doing it in the future. And let us know if there's anything you want us to review. Maybe there's a book or an article you'd like us to review in 15 minutes or less. Uh, maybe that's something that would be useful. Maybe we can do that. Otherwise, you've been listening to the only analytic Baptist confessional podcast on the planet. And we thanks you for tuning in. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.